Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of QSR Uncut. I'm your host, Danny Klein, the editorial director at QSR Magazine, joined once again, as always, by my colleague, Ben Coley, and co-host. And this week, we are joined by, joined by Mark Rossi, the CEO of Avanti Restaurant Solutions, also the founder. And so the topic this week is really going to be about supply chain, kind of the uh, overarching many different channels of uh, discussions to go off from there. Of course, I don't really have to remind anyone what a big deal this is, even if you are not a restaurateur, you probably ordered something from a furniture store and are still waiting for it to show up like me and my couch, which we will get into here shortly. (laughs) But um, before we do so, Mark, I will allow you to just kind of give a little bit of a background, um, talk about your company, what you all do there, and then we'll go from there. Great. Well, thanks very much for having me on, you guys. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, so my name is Mark Rossi. Um, I founded Avanti in 2003. Uh, We're a national kitchen equipment dealer. We started out kind of helping chain and multi-units restaurants develop and grow, you know, do business in all the 50 states and Canada. And uh, we discovered over the last two decades that our core competencies, you know, we learned along the way from some of these larger, sophisticated operations also lent themselves to different independent restaurateurs, you know, helping them achieve a culinary vision and desired efficiency in the kitchen, like a lot of these chain multi-unit operators do. And then uh, also helps guys who want to kind of get to the next level, scale and grow a little bit faster, uh, you know, with uh, speed of service and throughput. And then uh, also do some work on larger scale commercial kitchen projects, uh, more regionally, I'd say California and the West Coast, but, um, you know, where execution and project management is critical. Okay, so I hinted at this a moment ago, but on previous podcasts, including the most, uh, I guess, two two podcasts ago, was the last time I brought this up, was the fact that I ordered a couch in July and it is still not here. So my question for you, Mark, is why and how is that possible? I need answers in my life. They told me it was coming tomorrow, and um, it's actually been in Texas for about two and a half weeks now and does not seem to be leaving Texas. And I just don't know, man. Um, Hold on. Let me grab my magic eight ball and I'll tell you if it's going <laughs> to be that. No, I mean, I mean, it's obviously that this topic's gone on for, God, the better part of a year and a half now. And I think we probably have the better part, unfortunately, of a, at least a year, if not a year and a half to continue to enjoy, uh, you know, this supply chain um, situation. But I mean, it, it you know, obviously came out of the pandemic, uh, you know, labor shortages from shutdowns. Uh, then you get uh, kind of a big cross up in the Suez Canal. You know, that leads to, you know, big traffic jam. Then you go back and say, hey, all the stuff that all the PPE that China and all those different countries sent to all these other countries, put containers all over the world in places that don't have a lot of opportunity to get them back in the right spots. Then you finally get some containers back. You get that little traffic jam we talked about, then everybody's waiting outside the ports. Now there's no labor on the docks. Now there's a flood of, you know, uh, ships waiting to get in there. Hence why when we look out on the coast here, you know, it's like an array of lights all night long and during the day because there's ships backed up for, you know, miles. I mean, to have ships inside of Catalina, the island of Catalina, which is only 26 miles offshore on a regular basis is something we never saw you know, two years ago, and now that's a regular occurrence. Um, 
then you get into a lack of, so now you get some containers back. Now you have no chassis because the chassis were taken to different warehouses and left in those yards. The warehouses are completely impacted because of all the e-commerce and trade that's going on with that now. And, uh, you know, it just kind of turns into a big circular event where it just keeps pointing back to the same, you know, problem over and over again. Uh, Rails got its own its own issues because, uh, you know, they went to precision, precision logistics a few years back, which is sort of like the just in time manufacturing for for, uh, you know, manufacturers where they had basically way less uh, engines pulling way longer rail, uh, you know, cars. And then it was just based on perfect efficiency. Well, now they need more engines to move more things faster because things are coming in at all different times and they can't, they can't get a hold of that either. And this problem just continues to go on. I don't, I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, if you could kind of talk about the restaurant side of this and what they're seeing, the delays they're facing. I mean, it sounds like all of this is kind of connected, but you know, I had a CEO tell me the other day that, you know, he's waiting, you know, eight months for a walk-in cooler. So what he was trying to do was order 10 walk-in coolers at a time, you know, oh he's basically, God. he's almost turning into like a, you know, basically a dealer of walk-in coolers because he's preparing for growth. Um, you know, yep. he actually suggested to me something along the lines of we need to send the national guard, <laughs> and, you know, to California. And I, you know, I don't know what that entails or how that would help, but, um, well, they can but send yeah. the National Guard into California. I mean, they, I hope they're carrying containers on their back and chassis <laughs> and they've got labor with them as well. I mean, maybe the labor could be the National Guard, to your point. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, we've got six six month lead times. In addition to six month lead, fine. Eight month lead times. Yes. Customers. Well, let's buy 10. OK, great. So you cut a purchase order for 10. Now the factories. And by the way, you just named your guy. I have seven guys saying the same thing. Multiply yeah. that times 3000 dealers across the United States. And, you know, everybody's got too many POs, too much, you know, they don't have the capacity. They don't have the, the raw materials to build everything out. So it just it keeps on skipping. And some of those orders may get canceled at some point. But at this juncture, you know, um, yeah, it just it keeps compounding the issue more and more. Um, I think the other major issue that's bigger than even that is the inflation that's going on along with it, whether it be transitory or not, we have some factories and you're going to hear this right. You'll probably question it since January one of 2021 by January one of 2022, they will have gone up 40% on price for, Oh, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me, which scares me that it, <laughs> it seems like the yeah. status quo of, uh, of yeah. things these days. And, I'll tell you that the, the interesting part about it, now your friend who's an operator, if he wants to take that type of risk on and he can get this stuff, then, you know, good, good on him to, to get it done. The big issue is you get a lot of promises online and from wherever else that things are in stock and they're not. And then once you actually cut the PO, the timeline goes from, you know, a week or two weeks are in stock to four months. And then by the way, in that fourth month, on that third month and 30th day, you're going to get an email that says, uh, by the way, now it's, uh, you know, a month and a half more down the road. And so we're constantly facing that. And, you know, 
customer, everybody is sort of getting used to it, but it still amazes me that people, you know, still have no idea that there's a, a supply chain issue going on and we'll get a call and then they'll call 15 other people to see if it's true and try to get it done. And then someone will say, oh, I found it online. And then they hit the button. And yeah, again, this, this kind of, there's so much chasing our tail going on right now. Uh, and something that used to take two calls takes 10 calls now to try to get sorted out. And then you never have a final answer. So it's really making a big impact, you know, also on everybody's sanity and, and really their willingness to care and, and, and try to continue to do more, you know, because you, you can only hear the same thing so many times and you go report the news and then you get beat up, you know, by the end user and then you go back and now the factory's telling you the price has gone up and then you're supposed to eat it. It just, yeah, it feels like a kind of a Tower of Babel sort of circular uh, issue that, that just continues uh, that should end in, you know, a year, year and a half. That would be the hope. Yeah, I had a, we have a coworker who, um, I guess she was buying an HVAC and the, you know, the, the, I guess whatever company she was using, they showed her, you know, a piece of paper where the supplier said, if you wait until January 1st, this is going to be, you know, $4,000 more expensive. So you better buy it in the next two weeks. Um, you know, you know, we obviously see that kind of thing with cars now too. Oh. Um, yep. So yeah, to your I mean, point not ending right so no, and if you if you want to use yeah the beauty of that is the used car you can sell your car for a 30 percent premium but what are you going to buy and then you know whatever you can buy that's going to be at a 10 to 15 percent premium over sticker so it, it, yeah it's, a it's very, like the housing market too is that way right you know people keep trying to people keep trying to tell me sell your house you know you're going to get so much money and i think where am i going to live <laughs> you know I it's was, a I it's the same problem Yep. I was going to make the exact same, same comment. It's, it's true. So as it continues on, um, yeah, I mean, that, I, th- I guess it's the new normal huh? for, for, for a period of time. Um, but I do, but I, I want to go back to your point about HVAC and the, the, the gal or the person on, on the January 1st timeline, hundred percent true. Like we're telling everybody, guys, our quotes say they're good for seven days. And that may even be too little at this point. And so it's that wow. kind of situation. Not, not for every single possible thing, but you have to have it right now because even if you say your quote's good for that period of time and you have a deposit from a customer and an, a purchase order in the factory and a per, uh, deposit into the factory, they're still coming back with surcharges and price increases or they're canceling orders altogether. So it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a tenuous situation at best. So I think the best thing you can do is, is if, if you have a partner who understands the market and can connect with, and I, I just go ahead and say, we've had a lot of success connecting with more regional, um, local, and I would even say smaller factories and suppliers in some cases who are scrappy and can get out there and make things happen. And that's sort of who we are as well. So it's like, if you can partner with that type of group, then you're going to push it forward. But if you expect to go to, you know, um, what's the big HVC, uh, you know, Russell or Colt, um, uh, and, and say, you know, when are we going to have it? They're just going to tell you six months and that's going to be it. You need the guy that's scrappy on the ground, you know, boots on the ground, figuring it out locally and regionally. You mentioned, you know, um, within that, the, the, the one of the biggest problems within that supply chain is the labor. And we've talked about it when it comes to restaurants and the folks working in restaurants and, and, 
they're they're slowly getting back to where they were pre-COVID, but it doesn't seem like they may ever get back to that level they were pre-COVID. So I wanted to kind of frame that with the the supply chain and the people with the, in the within the supply chain, and of course the labor is not nearly what it was pre-COVID. Do you feel like the labor ever in the labor supply chain may ever get back to where it was pre-COVID? Because you mentioned the timeline, the year, year and a half. Do you feel like labor is ever going to get back to that same level? Or do you think that we're kind of destined to kind of deal with this new situation with just a a new baseline for labor? When you say level of labor, are you talking about the cost of labor or the availability of it? The availability. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's tough. I do believe it will. Everything always swings back. I don't think everything stays, you know, everywhere forever. So, yes, I believe it. It there will be a swing back. But I believe the cost of the labor, it's real tough to turn around and, you know, now pull 17, 18 dollars an hour from an hour empl- hourly employee who's gotten used to that, you know, going forward. I mean, you can go to In-N-Out Burger to use a California example, and they're hiring people for 17, 18 dollars an hour entry level. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. a, that's a tough situation for those guys as they move. Now, in and out has the volumes to handle it, but a lot of these other guys don't. Um, so anyway, I, I would say, is the availability of that labor going to be there? I, I I would think so. I would think at some point we're going to swing back. There's a lot of government assistance stuff going on, too, that is going to dry up here shortly and is starting to dry up more. And so people are going to have to get out there. They're going to get through the holidays and they got to pay all those bills. Right. So they got to get back out there and 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 figure it out. So I yeah, believe we'll come back. I think I think that's almost a bigger concern in the restaurants themselves, just because you know we always hear this example: is you could push boxes in Amazon for fifteen dollars an hour, which might be more enjoyable than you dropping fries into a you know a fryer in the back of the kitchen and dealing with you know customers every day in a restaurant. I, I think that's really going to be a a bigger and larger, more everlasting challenge to figure out how much you have to pay somebody to, you know, if you've got two options out there and even, you know, even driving a truck, right. You know, would you rather do that than, you know, work at a fast food chain? You know, maybe, right. I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's becoming a complicated thing. Well, the great example is in this, uh, you know, this discussion about uh, Uber, right. And the driver's, having to deal with the public, right? So you're, you're driving a, a rideshare service for however they call that, you know, for Uber. Well, a lot of those guys switched over to Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, because two things are happening. They don't have to talk to anybody. They just pick up the food, they deliver it, and they get a tip. You know, you, right. maybe they don't get their tip from the Uber, but it's, you know, commonplace in the food service side, you know, that we're all, you know, I mean, well, now it's everywhere. Anywhere you walk into, I, I can't wait for the, you know, the sporting goods store, you're going to walk in, they're going to ask you for a tip for you know the service. But <laughs> right. you, there's that level of like guilt associated with when they flip. You've all done it, right? They flip the thing at you. There's four mm-hmm. people standing behind you. And you're like, you're going to hit no tip in front of everybody? Or I, I, have, you- I, have, I have encountered that situation multiple times. And yeah. it's even happened to me when I've done curbside. And like they, they the, the person who brings out the curbside sits there and asks me if I'm going to leave a tip when I like sign a receipt or whatever. So like. Yeah, I've definitely been in that awkward situation. Oh, I went times. to a, a sandwich place recently, uh, you know, QR code ordering on the table outside. Don't let you inside the building. It's with my father-in-law, who I assume never listens to his podcast, hopefully, uh, for what I'm going to say now. But, yeah. you know, so he, 
you know, it came time, same kind of deal, order on your phone, ask you for a tip. And the idea was so offensive to him that they would be QR code, you know, dealing with this operation and trying to get you to also tip, you know, which of course is a much broader conversation. Right. He actually, you know, went and talked to, you know, whoever came to, you know, run our food out to the table to, you know, why would I do this? And I'm like, oh, you know, I got to escape this, you know, but, but I'm sure that, you know, that mindset is uh, probably runs through people all the time. And, and from your point on the labor side, I think it, it becomes a real part of it. You know, fast food too. Sonic is tipping now. They take tips on the, uh, you know, tip pooling. If you can tip pool, effectively you're talking probably two three you know maybe even four dollars an hour to whatever you're making on the hourly wage i know jersey mike's does this so you know i also think it's um, important your, yeah to your point about tipping um the news we ran recently about burgerville their um recently ratified union contract i think includes tipping within that um agreement as well so. Yeah, I think that I think that's going to have to happen for most fast food chains to kind of balance it out. Because I don't know that they can all just start off now paying $15, $16 an hour. It seems unrealistic. But could you try to pass that along to the consumer? I mean, that's what they've been doing with delivery for years. So now becomes an in-store proposition in addition to an off-premise one. So, you know, welcome to the future. <laughs> I guess. Right. Um, it goes along with the whole uh, trophy for everybody uh, mentality, right? It, like that's kind of continuing in that regard, almost. Yeah, yeah I feel like we can go down a lot of rants. On yeah, that. there we go. <laughs> yeah, all right. Back um, to it. So, so I have a question too. Um, you know, and this this tied into the supply chain. It's also just tied into what you all do as a company. But I actually kind of wrote a story about this recently in terms of kitchen design itself and the trends that are, you know, coming you know, at this stage of the recovery and, and things that are influenced by, you know, COVID and just by all the stuff that we're talking about. So um, I guess just what are you seeing trends wise on that commercial kitchen design? You know, are operators leveraging certain pieces of equipment more than they have in the past? You know, is automation, are they looking for ways to cut tasks out of the kitchen? I mean, what are you just seeing in terms of what are people actually ordering right now? And, you know, what are those hot ticket things to continue growing you know, and taking advantage of this climate. Multiple thoughts here. Number one is that whatever hot ticket item to your point that they want, they can't get. So unfortunately, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a problem for starters. Uh, the second thing is we often say to these people, the, the less smart the equipment is, the quicker you're going to get it for now. Right. So come back and let's revisit that afterwards. Third thing is when you get into automation and robotics, just like the QR code has been rebirthed from you know the pandemic or has been pushed forward or even off premise has been pushed forward so much further faster, uh, you know robotics probably moves forward faster with labor and efficiency and all that kind of stuff as well. I think someone's hands going to have to get forced and it's going to start to push itself forward. We haven't seen it a ton, but we're definitely seeing a uh, a focus on labor saving, you know, items like self filtration fry, you know, fry laters, right? That that have the self filtration feature, and not only that, but you know, shortening is doubled in price, so maximizing that is a is a big thing too. So there's a labor savings, there's a cost of goods savings, you know, there's that sort of holistic thought process there, liability savings, um, <clears throat> you know, back into wear wash with some of these 
these units, uh, I think Power Soak is one of them where they actually, you know, can save you one person of labor in the wear wash arena to get everything done. You know, that's a big deal. And then moving forward, I mean, do we see Flippy, you know, at every, you know, store in the next couple of years? Probably not, but it we're going that way. I mean, we almost have to be Sally, the, you know, the, the salad robot and all that. I mean, right, those, yeah. those, those, those things are real. They're out there and they're just going to just, just need a little bit more of a push uh, to get more mainstream uh, from a design perspective, uh, kitchens staying the same or maybe getting larger. And actually, let me say this back of the house. I'm just going to say back of the house. Okay. Because that may include staging areas, which may not be specifically kitchen areas, to go, you know, a place for storage for containers and to go and, and expediting for all the to-go orders, a separate counter for pickup and how that flow works. So back of the house and kitchen, maybe not getting larger, um, but as a percentage of the space, taking a higher percentage of that space. So if you were, if you know, if you were 3000 feet and you had a thousand feet of back of the house, as an example, Maybe now you're hearing this a lot. These guys are looking for two to twenty five hundred feet and the kitchen staying the same size. So that what used to be the rule of a third, you know, to 40 percent of a back of the house to front. Now, all of a sudden is kind of creeping up to maybe being, you know, 50 percent, you know, front to back. Um, And that's mostly limited service, quick service, uh, you know, fast, casual and that more in that arena. But also. If a casual dining guy or place was able to establish significant off-premise, uh, then they're going to continue that because it's incremental sales, right? And they can get more out the door. So, uh, again, you know, more staging area, more expediting area, uh, you know, more efficiency in the kitchen, maybe more hot food holding and cold food holding. So, you know, you can you can stage up and then move things out faster uh, from a throughput perspective and and to be able to meet the demand of the peak hour, as opposed to being concerned about, you know, having only one person be able to work a station, you know, and, and work for the lull. I always kind of say there's a design for the peak and there's a design for the lull and the AUV of the stores kind of determine which one you're going to be. And also where it is, right? If it's a more urban location, you got to be a peak guy to a degree because you have to put it out fast. But then again, if uh, it dies at dinner and you're still open, then you got to be able to run it in the lull. So there, it's it's sort of a cat and mouse game. But either way, yeah, we actually we actually wrote a story today about a casual dining chain who was you know attaching a drive-through to uh, you know the back of the restaurant, adding a holding area for you know quote unquote express items, and also even serving virtual brands out of the drive-through. <laughs> so. You know, they're they're clearly in the, in their case, there was worth diverting not just a large portion of the back there, but also labor to that off premise side because I, I think they're aware that capacity, you know, was is going to be there in terms of there being extra kitchen space, you know, versus what they used to do dine in traffic wise. So, I mean, I think everybody kind of does, interesting that virtual brand thing's real. I mean, Brinker did an amazing thing with their wings concept, right? And sort of using that to build a whole virtual brand and then run it out of those those kitchens. Um, <clears throat> but you're right. If if they're not, quote unquote, sweating the asset as much as possible, uh, you know, they're they're losing on it. And so I think that virtual brand just gave the opportunity to leverage all that infrastructure during all day parts, even right from breakfast all the way. Doghouse is a great example of that, right? 
doghouse doing, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, doing some virtual brands um, and, and really leveraging uh, their assets really well. Smart. They, and they even have beer, they even have beer gardens. So <laughs> that's right. And you can, you know, click those with your little, your little medallion and right. And it's like the beer wall. Yep. Right. Yeah. And, and Ben knows about, uh, it's just wings, uh, not just from a uh, writing standpoint, but he's also the only one in the office who has eaten them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's um it's they're they're pretty good. I mean, the, the, definitely the value is there for sure. I mean, it's um it's very affordable. Um, same thing to I mean, similar to what they have in their their in restaurant menu with the three for ten deal, which I always say is like one of the best deals in casual dining industry. But um yeah um. Another another question I, I, I wanted to ask you is kind of more so on the, uh, the going back to the supply chain thing, but you know we get so many press releases about um, these brands wanting to open mm-hmm. such and such amount of stores next year, and we're talking some of these guys in the quick service industry, like upwards of like thirty to forty next year, yep. and I, I see that, and that's a lot of restaurants and. And I hear what you've been saying about the supply chain issues and how you know difficult the situation is. And I guess it would be hard to ask you to put yourself in their mindset, but you know, do you think? I mean, like, what what do you think these restaurants are able to do to give them that much confidence that they would be able to open that aggressively next year, given how the environment is right now? Yeah, we're working with one of them. And uh, I, I can tell you this, uh, all those all those restaurants were ordered three months ago. So yeah. the, the thing that I kind of continue to say to everybody is get in line as soon as you possibly can, get the order in, you know, and and let us help you kind of navigate the line almost like a from a you know a VIP perspective at a, at a nightclub. It's like, let's figure out how we can get you to the front of the line where we can. And then when there's enough volume, you run into some construction issues. So to your point, uh, may not be a supply chain issue from from the dealer side of things, but it could be, you know, a construction materials issue where they're not able to deliver the shell on time. You have those issues, too. But people seem to be able to kind of figure that out and get it done as long as you can get your long lead time items. And what we've done a lot is kind of put the deal together and then make sure long lead times go first. And then, you know, like, even if you have to order that way, way ahead, which we have done to the tune of, you know, six months for fryers in certain cases, um, you got to do it early. And then you have relationships with factories that you do a lot of work with. Hey guys, I want you to break off three to five units that I'm just going to hold in a safety stock somewhere. So when you do run into a pinch and all those orders are still going, you're able to swap one in and swap one out. And that's how, you know, we've been able to get people open in, in the timeframes that they want to, but it is um, not without a lot of trust between partners, right. Between the customer and the, and the, and their vendor partners for sure. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like this is going to be a year that the chief development officers really earn their keep kind of like the way the uh, CFOs earn their keep when everyone was trying to apply for federal aid, <laughs> yeah. you know, we'll, uh, you know, because I know Chipotle, you know, we kind of talk about 30 or 40. I think they want to open something like 225. So, you know, yeah. and 70% of those with drive throughs attached to them or the pickup windows um, and what that means for whatever the landlord wants on a traffic rerouting perspective. And Well, I can tell you this. When you're a guy yeah. like Chipotle, guess, who's, who, guess who is always at the front of the line? 
right? right? For, <laughs> yeah, for everything, yeah. right? And I think so, they'll be okay. Yeah, I think they're going to be fine. I think any of those big, you know, like the, the big four on the fast food side, and then kind of those larger scale guys, like oh, Chipotle is such an anomaly to a degree of, of you know, for, to the whole industry. But uh, I think those guys will be just fine. You know, KFC ain't having any problem getting there. You know, yeah. Like how does a KFC even open still? I'm like looking, going, or really? Like, are, are we back to? That? I didn't understand it. Um, but so some of those bigger guys are getting, uh, you know, s- some good treatment there, and they might be able to do it, Ben, because of their, you know, sheer sheer scale and like throw their kind of weight around, right? And so then, but they're driving that demand. They're the ones in charge of that. Whereas a guy like us. We're fortunate enough to have enough business across that we can drive demand, you know, but based on our volume, not the individual customer's volume. So that's how, you know, we can become an advocate for maybe that smaller guy or that just guy that's just growing so fast right now and they're trying to get it done. Yeah, you know, I think in, in an unspoken part of this, too, is a lot of that 2022 growth that they're projecting was actually meant to be 2021 growth. It's just the delays have pushed it back a calendar. Yeah. <laughs> so, so some of the numbers, I think, are going to be a little bit skewed to being these were actually year and a half pro you know projects more than they were, you're, you know, things we put on one one calendar. But you're, you're right. And so they catch up to your point. So, yeah, so I agree with that. And that's how they might be able to achieve their goals and that. But I also don't want to sit here and say everybody's going to get it done because they're not. If the yeah. if the operator and the, to your point, if the development officer or the VP of construction or whoever's in charge of that specific piece in that world, they need to be really on top of it and very, you know, detail oriented and uh, aware of everything that's going on. Because to just call and say, make it happen can happen for about three to four stores. And then everybody starts getting frayed in the wheel because you can't, you know, you can't get a refrigerator and then, you know, we'll call 20 people to try to find it. And then the next thing you know, oh, hey, I found one on eBay. You guys got to go buy it on eBay. Aren't you doing your job? And you're like, well, hold on a second. OK, well, we'll go check it out. Are you sure? Yeah. OK, buy it on eBay up oh, four months. So it's like there's no silver bullet out there, you know, um, I feel so like ordering early. I feel like you're. Um... You know, your your hair might be gray before next year is over. It's <laughs> the ways that you're talking about. Uh, I got to tell you, it's, you're doing. it's been the biggest challenge I've ever seen for our people. We are known for having a, a really solid culture and, you know, very caring, wonderful people. And, and hopefully we always do. But they are also reaching, you know, to a degree that kind of fever pitch. And so trying to keep everybody, you know, uh, together and, and realizing that it is. Without being the guy that says, sorry, I can't help you and, you know, throws his hand up in the air, try to remember to maintain sort of a marathon kind of philosophy, right? As opposed to sort of a sprint uh, philosophy, because here it comes again, right? There's something, something's going to happen again and we're going to get tripped up and we're just going to have to just have sort of a steely, strong, deliberate pace and just keep going um, and try not to let the highs get too high and the lows too low just kind of keep it compacted in the middle but yeah it's, it's tough it's tough right now well i'm sure that that's also tough not just internally for your employees but also the restaurant people that you're talking to on the other line who oh my you know, God. this industry is um you know you got to be you got to be a little bit on the edge of sanity to get involved in it in the first place you know which yep. is why i really like it and because you're talking 
people who are incredibly passionate about what they do and why they do it. But those also can be hard to uh, talk those people off a ledge sometimes when it comes to ordering equipment or <laughs> just getting that them, nature. Or, or getting somebody to understand that you've shot every arrow at this particular problem. And, you know, it, it either is there's going to be a solution here in a moment and you got to wait for it or you might have to scrap and be more flexible about what it is that you want so we can at least get you what you need. So yeah, one message to an operator would be get in line as soon as you can, be as flexible as you can be, not to, you know, compromise your value or, or what, you know, you're delivering to the end user, but uh, you know, you definitely, it, it's making people really consider specifications and how important they really are. And, you know, some of these factories that have, in my opinion, dropped the ball and gotten too big or, you know, haven't uh, reacted to this whole thing, they're getting changed out. They're getting substituted. And these other guys are seeing another brand and they're going, hey, maybe, wow, I was paying all this money more for this other thing that I thought was such a great widget. And really, this thing works just fine. So there's, you know, it's touching everybody, you know, so. So we have a, um, we're coming down to the wire here for 2021, only more, a couple more weeks left. And um, we've asked our previous guests for just a couple of uh, predictions for the, the next um, year in 2022. So we'll ask the same of you, um, okay. maybe directly related to what you guys do. Are there any um, predictions um, that you have for um, this coming year um, that you're, uh, you're willing to uh, share? Uh, predictions were, um, in terms of the supply chain situation sure, what, or, what, yeah, whatever, or whatever. whatever you feel that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I think you could talk about anything. I think, I think the supply chain part of it, I think the trend it sounds like is that nothing will change in terms of how challenging it is. Now what's causing it to be challenging, I guess it's pretty dynamic, but to your point earlier, I guess you see this as being a multi-year thing and not as opposed to something that's going to fall off the map come you know, a month from now. Right. I mean, the prediction from me, from my standpoint is we're not through this by December, by th this time next year, we're going to be sitting here having a similar conversation that hasn't ended yet. That's what, that's where I'm, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to someone last week and they said, you know, as we enter year three of uh, the pandemic and I thought, dear, dear God, are we that really actually what's happening in the, and it is right. You know, I remember, what was it? Uh, 15 days to curb the spread or something. Was that the original proclamation out there when this happened last and, you know, whenever that was March, 2020. Well, yeah, they were having those orders were lasting two weeks. They were lasting until like mid April. Easter, and, right. Was yeah. that the, then that was like, we'll push it back to Easter. And then yeah. here we are, you know, it's a, I'm not even sure how to explain what has happened, but yeah, you know, the, the interesting thing um, relating to the whole how will restaurants be able to build all these um, stores in the coming year, um, you would think that, you know, part of that would be um, um, maybe reducing costs by entering second generation uh, locations. Yeah. But, you know, I, I actually spoke to um, a source recently, um, Andrew Smith, who um, is a who manages the Savory Fund. It's like a restaurant growth vehicle. And he was telling me that a lot of these second generation locations have been gobbled up and they're not, and it's like finding a needle in a haystack with those second um, generation locations. So that option seems not to be 
um, readily available for restaurants. Now, he did mention that um, he expects more restaurants to close, you know, with inflation still like not having enough aid. So he does expect more restaurants to close and that's to come more available down the line. But right now he's saying it's not um, as much of an option as, you know, everybody seems to to make it. So that would mean that, you know, restaurants go the, go the other route with the, the build up approach and then you worry about construction and getting those materials and how long it takes to get those materials. So, or, so or they try to go virtual, they go, they go more ghost kitchen, virtual right. kitchen, which, which is right. another, that's a whole nother topic that, uh, you know, prediction wise, I'm not so sure the longevity of that, that, um, whole model. However, um, you know, that's an avenue for those guys right now. And you're right. Second gen restaurant space is tough right now, like everything else, which I remember too, all the PPP money that went out to all these different people, you may have had dying brands anyway that just got, you know, a lifeline thrown to them. And now they're going to be able to hang on for another eight to 10 months. So I would tell you, so there's a prediction if you'd like it, you know, maybe around June, July of next year, you're going to see a resurgence of that next gen space because some of these guys weren't able to hang on past their uh, government assistance. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, the other thing to note about second gen space is that I think you will also see now they've turned to non-restaurant second gen space. So, you know, the like, remember when Blockbuster, you know, got you guys look a little bit younger than me, but when Blockbuster, you know, was on every corner and then all of a sudden it wasn't, you know, everybody took those spots. So what is that brand that, you know, is the next thing? A lot of banks, right, have good real estate and, and, and that kind of idea. And a lot of that stuff is becoming uh, way more economical to do online or virtually. So, you know, there's there's probably a story there, but I, I certainly think you're going to see, uh, you know, more non-restaurant second gen space, which then does lead to lead times as well. I mean, you've got you've got that space, but, uh, you know, it's um, you know, it needs it needs in some cases, grease traps, sewer connections and all that kind of all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I am uh, personally blockbuster old. I don't I don't know about Ben though. I'm, I'm blockbuster. I I remember going to Blockbuster as a kid, getting the video game. So I'm I'm still in that era. <laughs> you say you're a Virgo? Is that what you said? No, I meant I'm still in that era um, of the oh, Blockbuster era. Oh. I'm like, you got to be on the tail end of that though, right? I mean, I remember going in there and getting candy and all that stuff. And the uh, I mean, I, mean, I, I remember I, Netflix coming in the mail. These were these were dark times. I, I specifically remember. Um, um, getting a lot of Coke products to get the My Coke rewards to put in the codes and getting enough points to get free Blockbuster um, um, video game rentals, coupons, and going in and cashing in those like every week. So like I, I yeah. like that was like the teenage days for me. So like I, I do remember those days. I love it. I remember watching Dexter, the first season of Dexter and the first four episodes on a Blockbuster thing. And then we ran out of you know, the disc, it only had four things on it. So I looked at, you know, my wife and I ran out the door and made it there by 1058, got the second season, you know, whatever. The second yeah. disc and came running back. That's my I, last memory of. of I office. did that with The Office is the last thing I, last time I remember going there. Yeah. yeah. It's a yeah. scary thing. I do remember the saddest thing would be going to Blockbuster and me being really excited about a game being there. And then when lifting a thing and seeing that it's not there, it's like the most depressing thing ever that was. Yeah. <laughs> Thank, thankfully, those times are behind us. But I'll ask you one last thing, Mark. Sure. Um, here, you know, because you you brought this up about the smart technology being expensive, and it made me 
you know, I get all asked this question a lot. You know, we see all these prototypes coming out for restaurants that are sure. really amazing looking things. I mean, you've got conveyor belts dropping burgers down the second story of a Burger King to people's cars and, yep. you know, Taco Bell's Go Mobile design. You've got essentially what is a parking lot turned into this transaction center of, you know, mobile ordering and all this kind of stuff. And I guess my question with those, you know, people will always tell me, are they going to actually build these things? Now, in Taco Bell's case, the answer is yes. There's, I, I know at least one of those, but I mean, is it? Are some of these a little bit beyond the realm of what's possible supply chain wise now? I mean, it sounds like a lot of great theories and paper that maybe get pushed forward eventually, but you know, we might not be on kind of a near term, you know, timeline here with some of these. You know, just going forward, it, it appears. I mean, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So at some point, you know, some of these things may get pushed forward and some of it's gimmicky. I, I think some of it's a little bit gimmicky. Um, I, I do believe that there is not a ton of, certainly here in, in California and more urban areas on the East Coast, there is not a ton of space to just go, you know, blow things out and build them. So you get like stepping away from, you um, you know, restaurants for a second, Carvana, for example, right, going vertical with their, uh, you know, uh, their car lots, right? So they don't have to have that kind of space that, that reaches out. You may see some some concepts that are maybe sharing some infrastructure, a la, you know, walk-ins, wear wash, that kind of thing, and maybe up above and then drive through underneath. Because all anybody's trying to figure out is how to get a double drive through done. Uh, right. You know, yeah. for, for multiple <laughs> concepts, because there's only so many, so many, you know, street corners that, that have that. So I would say that the guy who figures out how to effectively, you know, and, and to your point, cost effectively uh, figure out the double drive through or maybe multi drive through situation is is definitely the winner there. And as far as, you know, smart products, it wasn't so much. I mean, smart products certainly can be you know, more expensive because that ROI and the value is there. But uh, my, my point was more that they're not available because of all the, the chips and components that have to go into them. That right. Them okay. Tough. Those are really tough to get. Yeah. Yeah. Future is coming. Just, uh, yeah, sure. Who knows when, I guess. Right. It's kind yeah, of, yeah. yeah. It's the, the, the thing is when does gimmick become reality? Right. And that's where. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do think to your earlier point, robotics might be what, falls into that category because in the past I think restaurants were interested in them but the ROI didn't make a lot of sense to replace labor with robots because robots were actually more expensive but the further we go along that line the less that becomes true and then now suddenly we start to look at it again. Well it's that labor convergence right with the cost of that robotic scenario and how much more you can do and how much more consistently efficiently yeah for sure Those, those, those two meet at some point here shortly. Good thing McDonald's, you know, built all those kiosks before before COVID worked out for them. Oh my gosh! Yeah, anybody who invested, actually, that's interesting because we are working on fast casual, helping those guys get to third party because they all wanted it, right? But some of them didn't want to invest in it. They didn't ever think it was for them. Whatever. When that hit, I mean, that pushed everybody forward, uh, you know, miles forward. You know, so yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. For sure. That's what I'm going to call this episode. <laughs> well, Mark, thank you so much. Um, I'll give you a moment here just to kind of take us home in terms of, you know, where people can reach you, you know, where restaurant folks listening to you might be able to contact you. 
whether email, social, website, whatever it might be. Sure. Uh, no, th- thanks for that. And uh, it was really nice to uh, spend the time having a conversation with you guys. It was fun, provocative, interesting. Uh, but yeah, you can find us. Our website's probably the best place, which is uh, avanticorporate.com, www.avanticorporate.com. And uh, yeah, that's the best place to reach out. Info at avanticorporate.com goes directly to us, and then we can help figure out you know, what you're up to. Uh, we are on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook as Avanti Restaurant Solutions. Um, and uh, yeah, if we can we can help out in any way, we're, we're sure here to help people solve problems and, and, you know, make their lives easier and know that they have an advocate, you know, from, from the factory side of things too. So. All right, cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mark. Yeah. We appreciate all the time and insight into everyone listening and we'll see you next time.